Welcome to the global live stream. We're starting a new series called Fight for the Fam. Now fam, as you might guess, is short for families, all right? Those are collections of people, of human beings, by blood, uh, by adoption, uh, by blending of families, their moms, their dads, their sons, their daughters, their brothers, their sisters. And when you think of family, your first thought has to be this, all right? That God has created every person, you, me, everybody listening, everybody in the world today, God's created every person to give love, and to receive love and families are the first community of love and acceptance where that is designed to happen. You see, everything that God creates is an expression of God's nature and family is central to God's nature. Now in the, in the Bible, uh, God uses terms that reflect family. God is presented in the Bible as our father. We are his children, right? Jesus is our brother. The church is the family of God. Jesus himself uses terms that are family oriented when talking about you and I and our relationship. He talks about how we're born into the family of God or we're born again. In the pastoral epistles, it talks about new birth. Uh, in, in the book of Romans, it talks about spiritually being adopted into God's family, all right? So why is it important that we have that context? It's this, that family is not man's idea. It's God's idea and it's his chosen model. I'll say it again, it is his chosen model for relationships that he wants us to have. In fact, before there was a church, there was family, right? There was a husband that was made, there was a wife that was made, and there was an instruction to that husband and to that wife, start making babies. <laughs> you know, and, and it's clear that we have obeyed that command uh, because we're about seven billion strong uh, in the world uh, today. But, this is a big but, because we live on a fallen, broken planet, because of sin, nothing works correctly or perfectly. All you gotta do is turn on the news to see that. All you gotta do is look in the mirror to see that. All you gotta do is look at your own family, right? There's no perfect husband, there's no perfect wife. There's no perfect family. But in spite of all of our dysfunctions, in spite of all of our flaws, and in, in spite of all the frustrations that come from being a part of a family, family is still God's number one choice for fulfilling his creative intentions with people and in history. See, God wants to use families, right? That's his unit, it's a basic unit that God wants to use to impact and advance his purposes in individuals, in communities, in societies, and in countries. God also wants to work on you through your family. And there are things that you can only learn in the context of being in a family. Now, because all of that is true, not because I say it's true, but because God says it's true, God wants men to fight for their family, for its health, for its well-being, for its character. And listen, to protect the people that are in your family. So why fight? because family has been and always will be God's idea. And because that's true, family has been and always will be attacked. And right now it is being openly and aggressively attacked in culture, in every ethnic community that you can think of, in every metro urban city that you can think of, in every suburban community, in every rural community, family is being attacked by cultural movements that are, listen, one, anti-God, and because they're anti-God, they're anti-family, and they're out to destroy the unit that God says is critical 
for any healthy community or society. Now, these cultural forces, listen, they might masquerade as political movements or just ways of thinking or, or philosophies, but make no mistake, they represent demonic and evil attempts to destroy what God loves. I'm gonna say that again. It might masquerade as political movements or philosophies or ways of thinking that are enlightened, but you know what they are because they hate family and they hate God? They're demonic and they're evil movements that are out to destroy what God loves. How do we know? Because anything God creates, right, and loves, evil attempts to destroy and hates. And that's especially true when it comes to the family. You know, today you'll watch the news and it will sound like this, that, that marriage itself is somehow an instrument of oppression, that family is the tool of the upper or capitalist class, that fathers are the patriarchal guardians of broken male culture who abuse and oppress, and that children and women are the innocent victims of male and family oppression. So if those things are true, then the obvious conclusion is, well, we just have to tear the whole thing down, right? We have to eliminate that and replace it with some enlightened, humanistic, new and improved version, uh, and, and that somehow God and husbands and wives and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters, they've failed, we have to, we have to replace that. And, uh, and I want you to recognize that because you need to know that it's not, it's not what it is on the face of it. It's not a political attack on the family. It is a spiritual attack that goes all the way back to the first family that God created. It's really just an old attack, but with a new face. And right now we're seeing it more openly and more aggressively. So when you see things that God loves like life, like marriage, like family, those are creation orders of God, right? I want you to get that term, creation order, right? And wherever you find a creation order of God, you will see an evil assault, but by who? Okay, here we go. Let's just say what the Bible says, by the hater of all things good, of all things God, and the hater of your soul. Satan himself, using people, cultural forces, the fears of men to attack what God loves. So life is a creation order. Satan attacks life. Living life, life yet to be born. Marriage is a creation order of God. Satan attacks marriage and the connection between man and woman and men and women. He'll attack that. Family is a creation order of God. And so Satan attacks family because God chooses family as the first community where we're supposed to experience love and acceptance. You see, Satan hates God. He hates life created by God. He hates marriages created by God. He hates families created by God. Satan hates any healthy human relationship because healthy human relationships glorify the God who created them. So when family is attacked, you gotta recognize that the real objective is the next generation. The real objective is the health of people and children and women and cities and communities, right? And God's mission and people in the church are also under attack. That's why this series is called Fight for the Fam. And we're like what I like to call a fist fight in a phone booth with evil itself. And his sights, listen, his sights are set on your family. It doesn't matter whether you're a husband, uh, whether you're a dad, whether you're a son, you're a daughter, you're a brother, you're a sister, you're an uncle, or you're a grandparent. If you're connected to a family, just know that Satan wants to destroy and to divide your family using any means possible. And a lot of times it just looks like culture or a way of thinking. So take a look at your message notes. We're gonna see as a follower of Jesus Christ, why we're called to fight for the family. And I wanna look at what Jesus models for us when it comes to his spiritual family.
which includes me and you, if you're a follower of Jesus. Listen to the family language and Jesus' effort in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. It says this, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Why fight for the family God has given you? Because Jesus fought for us. He fought all the way to the cross to create a way for family, to create connection for us into his family, for me, for you, so that we could enjoy him, so that we could become all that we could be according to God's intention. And listen, Jesus is not ashamed of his family. He's proud of his family. You wanna know why we should fight for the family? Because Jesus fought for us as members of his family, to be adopted into his family and he's he's not ashamed to call you and I his brother. So we're gonna look at five things, five really practical ways right now uh, where you can strap on and you can fight for your family. And the first way you fight for your family is you must fight for your convictions. You gotta fight for your convictions, okay? That's number one because in a family, Beliefs drive behaviors. And so we have to look at, well, what do we believe that is gonna drive our behaviors in our families because our behaviors and choices are what shapes the culture of our family, right? And beliefs reside in a certain place. The Bible talks about it here in Proverbs 4.23. It says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. You see, beliefs come into your heart, beliefs that emanate from either truth, what God says is true, or lies, what the world, the flesh, and the devil tell you. And guess what? We take in those beliefs from God, or the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we take them into our hearts, right? And then out of those beliefs come behaviors. That's why the Bible is so emphatic. You gotta guard your heart. You can't just let any belief in, any way of thinking in. You gotta be discerning. You gotta, um, you gotta really search and say, wow, is this gonna be a good thing or a bad thing? You gotta stop thoughts at the border of your heart and examine them, right? And to see what's the long-term impact? How is this gonna affect me, my relationship with my wife, my kids, my family unit, right? You gotta guard your heart and develop the right convictions and the right beliefs so that your behaviors protect and guard your family. Everything you do flows from beliefs and convictions being lived out in the open. And the first place we do that is in our families. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 35. He says, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man, evil things out of the evil stored up in him. There's that reflection again, Jesus saying, hey, your insides and what constitutes your thoughts and your beliefs and your convictions, those will leak out in choices and behaviors and the nature of those things will be good or bad based on what you put into yourself, which is either good or bad. The word of God is good. The words of Christ are good. Truth is good. And those are the things that we're supposed to store up inside of us, things that foster healthy relationships with God and with people. Truth that does that, that's what you're supposed to stockpile and to store up inside of you. You see, it involves yeses and noes. You're not a neutral figure out in culture. There's, there's, there's truth and lies coming at you everywhere. And you gotta say no to lies and yes to truth and no to temptation and yes to God. It talks about that in the context of the fight. Right here in 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12, it says this, it says, but you, man of God, right, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness, fight 
the good fight of the faith. You want to fight for your family? Fight for the good fight of faith because when you fight for the good fight of faith, you are fighting for truth and belief in the truth. And the truest thing about anything is what God says is true in his word. And so we're going to say no to culture and the lies of culture, and we're going to say yes to God. And in saying no to culture, we're really saying no to Satan. All right. Culture being that ecosystem, right, of, of beliefs that are either exclusive of God or don't like God at all. Right? So we're supposed to say no to them and pursue what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Right? Those are the convictions and qualities. We gotta fight for them though. It's not just gonna be like mysteriously given to you by some mystical osmosis. All right? You have to be proactive. So first thing we can do right now is just fight for what you believe. What do you believe? What do you believe about the family? What do you believe about marriage? What do you believe about relationships? Can I encourage you to do something? Say, believe and support what God says is true because the truest thing about all of those is what God says is true, all right? Secondly, and now we're gonna move into relationships. I must fight for my connections. First, I gotta fight for my convictions. Second, I gotta fight for my connections. Okay, I've been doing men's stuff for over 30 years. You know who the smartest men are? The smartest men are the ones who discipline themselves toward their most important relationships. And where are the most important relationships? Wives and children and the family ecosystem. Why? Because that's God's chosen unit. You're a smart person if you focus on the health of those connections. So let's talk about the first connection. First, with your bride. I'm talking to all the husbands out here, all the servant leaders of their families. If you're going to focus on one relationship to start off with, focus on your relationship with your bride, right? Because historically, when that breaks down, the family breaks down. When the connection between husband and wife break down, all right, then the rest of the relationships that are connected to them all fragment and divide. It's like dominoes falling. And maybe some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's my story. Could be your story, all right? So that's why we have to focus on the woman God gave us. You know, this is not a new thing. God's been talking about that. And I, I pulled a passage from the Old Testament that, that's talking to husbands and how they have to fight for their connection with their wives. Listen to what God says in Malachi chapter two. He says, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears, you weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask, why? It is because the Lord is witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God who made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your, your youth. The man who hates and divor divorces his wife, the Lord, the God of Israel says, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Wow. Gee, God, how do you really feel about my relationship with my wife? There, there it is right there in the Bible in Malachi chapter two. Take a good long look at it. But you got to see sort of the overall wireframe and picture that God is setting up. It's a marriage covenant. All right. There's a creation order, a marriage covenant covenant of God is always attacked by evil. So, any, like I said, it's not a new thing. It happened in Genesis 3. It happens throughout history. Man and woman, they reflect the glory of God. Man and woman's oneness reflects the glory of God. Men and women creating families reflects the glory of God. That is attacked. But to disintegrate the whole enchilada, you gotta put division between the man and and the woman, which means that for you and me, we gotta fight for that connection with our bride. And you see the domino effect, right? You see it says, and what does the one God seek? Godly offspring, okay, there we are. It's, it's not just offspring, it's godly offspring. 
See, there's a quality to a man and woman before God, growing close to God and growing close to one another, and they create godly offspring. It's generational impact. There's a character quality to the family that is at risk. And so what is the command? Guard, right? Go be on your guard. Don't be unfaithful. Protect, right? Be on your guard. Again, it says, and do not be unfaithful. It says it two times for emphasis. When God says something once, that's enough. But when he says it twice, guys, listen up. Your marriage is spiritual warfare, all right? There's a oneness that's being attacked right now. There's so many voices, so many feelings, inside, outside, messaging, culture, all right? Guard your relationship with your bride. Now, what's the victory we seek in this fight? Write this down, emotional intimacy. Emotional intimacy. You gotta see the center of your family, right, is the husband-wife relationship and their connection and you have to see that the family rises or falls on the quality of the husband-wife connection. And guys, I know that you know this. You know if you're connected to your wife or not. You know if you're connected to her physically for sure. But you know what? Before that, you know if you're connected to her emotionally, right? When you're connected as man and woman in God's covenant, there's peace. When you're not connected in God's covenant, there's division and anxiety and fear and anger and conflict, which is exactly Satan's end game. So guys, you gotta fight for your connections. The first connection you have to fight for is your connection with your bride. And guys, this doesn't matter if, you're, if you've been married one year, 20 years, or 70 years, right? That is the covenant that God uh, ordains. That is the covenant that Satan will attack. Second, when it comes to your connections, is you gotta fight for your connection with your babies. And I just called them your babies because you know, even though my kids are in their 20s, I call them my babies, right? Or your kids. Now your kids may be literal babies, they may be young, they may be teenagers, they may be older, but you gotta fight for your connection with your babies. And you know what? God models that, right? Our job is to help bring them to the destinations all right, where God has intended for them. And as men, as, lead, as the servant leaders of our families with that mantle, we gotta bring them along and fight for that connection. Listen to what God says in Deuteronomy chapter one, verses 29 to 31 in the context uh, of family. All right, then I said to you, do not be terrified, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. What an amazing picture of God as a father carrying his children to the destination of promise. I don't know about you, but I used to love it when my, when my kids, they were younger, and maybe you have young kids now, where they kind of reach up and, you know, they want you to hold them, but then they're upset because that's not where they wanted to go. They wanted to go like this, plonk, right on your shoulders, right? And when your kid is being carried on your shoulders, there is just this connection and, and there's this pride and they get to see like you see, right? Because they're on the shoulders of their leader, right? And, and that's why. You know, God models this for us. He, he carries us like a father carries his son to this destination of promise. And that's your job. Dad, are you carrying your kids right now? Are you supporting your kids? Are you giving them what they need to get to that destination? Now, there's a warning about how you carry them or about how you do that. And it talks about that in Ephesians chapter six, verse four, it says this, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You know, as a parent, right, and as a counselor to couples and parents, what I see many times is exasperation and frustration in the family. And that exasperation and frustration comes from dads or parents 
projecting their own issues on the inside of their heart onto their children. So whether it's control issues or whether it's anger issues or, or, or whether it's insecurities or fears, that's why step one was step one. You gotta get your heart right. Because then when you get your heart right, you'll get your connections right. You'll get your connection with your wife right and you'll get your connection with your kids right. But let me give you some just practical, easy, accessible ways, dads, uh, to to fight for your connections with your kids, all right? I'm gonna give you one set, just kinda this is the what to do, and this then the next set is how to do it. So what do I do? Three things, all right? Number one, you gotta model. You can't give away to your kids what you don't possess. You gotta model the behaviors that you wanna see. You gotta model the love that you wanna see. You gotta model the forgiveness that you wanna see. You wanna gotta model the family encouragement. Uh, that you want to see. Second, you want to mentor, all right? So first is model, then you mentor, all right? And that means that you come alongside them and then you message while you come alongside. I model, I mentor, I message, all right? And, and that just makes sense, right? So that's the what to do, model, mentor, message. And then how do I do that? How do I model, how do I mentor, how do I message, all right? Listen very closely through time, talk, and touch, right? These are the three languages that kids receive and perceive as love. So they perceive time as love, talk as love, and touch as love, all right? Time, your most valuable commodity, all right? You can't be in a hurry to pour into your kids, to model and mentor and message. You gotta spend time. Your kids are interpreting you spending time with them as love. You gotta talk to them and not just order them or tell them to do stuff or coach them on the athletic field, right? You gotta sit down. You gotta put them to bed. You gotta say, how was your day? You gotta listen like a human being, take it in, respond, give comfort, give encouragement, all right? Talk, all right? And then appropriate physical touch, all right? That is so key. Now. Why is it so important that you model for the family, that you mentor your children in the family, and that you message your kids in the family through time, talk, and touch? Here's why, here's the victory, write this down. Emotional security. What do I mean by that? If you model and mentor and message God's love and acceptance in a family through time and talk and touch, your children will experience, listen, the two things that every child needs, peace and worth. Peace and worth. They're supposed to get peace and worth and value and love and acceptance in the family unit. And if they don't experience you, dad, giving them that, they're gonna find a second community of acceptance. Why? Because they are hardwired for acceptance. The family's job is to help solve the acceptance issue so that children don't pursue second communities of acceptance. Listen, and the barrier to entry in those second communities of acceptance are doing things that are unhealthy or harmful, but the pull for acceptance and the need for acceptance is so strong. Boys and girls will do unhealthy things to get the acceptance. And then once they get into that second community, because the acceptance need is so high, they won't stop doing the unhealthy things because the acceptance is primary. So when children of parents talk to me and they, their children have entered these second communities, could be a gang, could be a sexual community, could be some political community, could be, I know what's going on and I know why it's hard for any child to leave that second community. It's because they're experiencing belonging and identity and acceptance. So dads, do you see how important it is for you to not just be in the family, but be disciplined toward your relationships with your wife and then with your kids, modeling for your kids, mentoring your kids, messaging your kids, you know, Again, God 
models how to do this. What's so great about the Bible and so great about God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit. We see them all modeling family in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Check this out. What does God model? Watch for it. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. What did you see? You saw a few things. You see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all present. The family, right? The family of God, this unit is present relationally for each other. The second thing you see is a strong moment, right? You see the full presence of God the Father, right? It says, and at that moment, hey dads, you know what your kids need? Moments with you, full presence. You know what you also you saw? A strong name, right? God says, my son. You see that sense of belonging? It's not a son. It's not the son, it's my son. Personal pronoun, my, okay? That communicates belonging, right? Take a cue from God himself. Say, my son, my daughter, every chance you can, as you're in the context of these moments. So you see a strong moment, a strong name, and then you see a strong love. A strong love that is expressed with full presence and full communication, right? God the Father says it openly to God the Son. It's like, whom I love. This is my son, whom I love. And then you see a strong blessing. Strong moment, strong name, strong love, strong blessing. What does that look like? Affirmation, in whom I am well pleased. You wanna know what your kids need from you, Dad? They need strong moments. They need strong names and identification with you. They need strong love and affection from you. They need strong blessing and affirmation from you. And you know what that gives them? Peace and worth and value, and it makes them less likely to need to go to some second community of acceptance where they have to do something harmful. So, number one, I have to fight for my connections. I mean, I have to fight for my, my, my convictions, right? What do I believe? What do I believe about family? What do I believe about relationships? I gotta guard my heart. Number two, I gotta fight for my connections with my bride and with my babies. Number three, write this down, I must fight for the family character, all right? Now let's just define, what's that? What's the family character? It's the essential moral and spiritual nature of your family. It's the moral center of your family. It's the spiritual nature of your family. Let me give you a, just an example. You know, my kids all the time when they would leave the house, before they would walk out to go to elementary school and junior high and high school, all growing up, I would like poke my head out the door on purpose. I'd wait for them to leave and then I'd, I'd get their attention and say, hey, and then they'd have to turn around. And I'd say, remember, you're a luck. Lux, love God and help people. Okay, have a good day. And I would do that every day ad infinitum, they will tell you, what was I doing, right? I was fighting for the family character. I wanted my kids to know that they're a part of a family that loves God and loves people. And I just translated loving people into helping people, serving people. But I wanted them to know that that's our character. That's the essential moral and spiritual center of what it means to be in the luck family. Now, when it talks about, when you talk about character, there's a few pillars, okay, uh, of character that I wanna talk about. Now, the first pillar of family character is integrity. Write that down, right? You gotta fight for integrity in your family. You choose beliefs, all right? Loving God and loving people, and then you seek to be consistent with those beliefs or undivided between what you believe and how the family operates, all right? We all recognize that as integrity. So if I say, hey, you're a luck, lux love God, and lux serve and help people, I have to model loving God and serving my family and loving my family and loving people, all right? Because if I do that, then my words mean something versus being a hypocrite 
and being divided between what I believe and how I actually live with their mother and with them and with people. So if you're gonna fight for the family convictions, fight for your convictions, fight for your connections, fight for the character, you gotta have integrity. Right? Listen to what it says in 1 Chronicles 29, 17. The man after God's own heart says this. He says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. Wow. You know that God is pleased when you live consistently between what you say you believe and how you actually live. God loves consistency between your beliefs about him right, and your behaviors that express those beliefs. So the first pillar of family character is integrity. The second pillar is maturity, right? And I want to give you a picture and a partner under this banner of maturity in the family character, right? Here's the picture. It's from Hosea 10:12. It says this, sow righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Now, that's an agricultural picture. The listeners to Hosea's words were mostly agrarian. They were mostly farmers, so they get this whole farming you know, picture. But Hosea is borrowing farming images to talk about character development and growing in God's love. So this is God modeling how he manages his family. And look what it says. It says, reap the fruit of unfailing love. That's love from God. How? Break up the unplowed ground of your heart. It's a picture of growth. You have areas where you have uh, fruitfulness and growth, and then there's areas that are not so fruitful and not growing. And everyone, right, there's room for growth here, right? Room for growth with us right now here on this study. Room for growth in your wife. Room for growth in your children. Room for growth in your family. A family is a dynamic, growing unit, and everybody in the family is growing and learning and changing. Why? Because we're on our way toward being completed and mature. You gotta work for the family character, integrity and maturity. Now that's the picture. Right? Break up the unplowed ground. People in the family are all learning and growing and changing. Who's the partner in this process? Listen to Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Wow, do you see that partner? Your partner's God. Right? God's partnering with the dad. God's partnering with the mom. God's partnering with the mom and dad who are partnering with the kids until the kids can know God and partner with him as healthy, mature, individuated adults, right? So if you're fighting for the family character, you gotta fight for integrity. You gotta fight for maturity. Number three, you gotta fight for transparency, honesty, right? Listen to what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter four, verse 15. Instead, speaking truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. You know, honesty is required between people uh, versus what? Deception, manipulation, hiding secrets. If you are fighting for your family and the character of your family, you wanna see integrity, consistency, being undivided between what you believe and think. You wanna see maturity, everybody in this family, we're all growing. We're all growing and changing and learning. We can learn and change. Third, there's gotta be transparency. If there isn't truth and transparency, there is no growth. Look at what it said. Instead, speaking truth and love, we will grow. Right? You don't grow out of lies. Lies keep people immature. Manipulation in a family keeps people immature. Deception in a family. Do not tolerate manipulation, deception, and lying in your family if you wanna fight for the family character. Why? Because your family needs truth and transparency for transformation, to grow and to learn and to change. So let's review, right? Gotta fight for my convictions. Gotta fight for my connections. Gotta fight for the family character, all right? Fourth, I gotta fight for my contribution, all right? What does that mean? It means that we're created to do good, 
right? And where's the first place we're created to do good? In the family, all right? Listen to what it says in Ephesians 2.10, just as the foundation. It says this, for we, God's creation, we, we believers, were God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus, listen, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, okay? Doing good works, what do those look like? Well, they look like loving one another. They look like serving one another. Looks like forgiving one another. Looks like encouraging one another, right? Looks like supporting one another. Where should we be doing that first? Definitely, you already guessed it in your mind, in your family. That's like the incubator, it's the, it's the practice field for, for your kids and for you and for your wife and for, for your extended family to practice doing good uh, right there in your family. And doing good for the benefit of others, right, trains us in the family to do those same things outside of the family. And you know, this is where Jesus' modeling uh, with, his, with his spiritual brothers is so key. In Luke 22, 27, he says this, for who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am, the, I am among you as one who serves. So it's a picture of family. Everybody's at the table. You know, you got brothers in the Lord, right? We're all at the family. And then Jesus comparing the cultural model, which is, you know what? The person who is great is the one who has people doing stuff for him because he's got the power, he's the man, he's in control. And then Jesus draws a contrast to that cultural model to his model. But he says, who's greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? And he gets them all nodding. It's like, yeah, in culture, it's the dude who has people doing stuff for him. And then he says, but I am among you as one who serves, right? So. This goes to you dads in a family. Are you the CSO of your family? Are you the chief serving officer? When your kids see you in your family, are you the guy who's being served all the time or are you serving? What's coming out of your mouth? Hey, can you get me that? Can you get me this? Can you get me that? Can you get me this? Or is it, what do you need? What do you need? How can I help you? All right, let me get that plate from you. You know, you guys kick your wives out of the kitchen, all right? Go ahead and grab that load of laundry. Most masculine thing you can do. You're the, you're the chief servant officer of your family. Extend your finish line. Do what God declares to be important in your family. You gotta fight for your contribution. And this is really the essence of leadership, right? In a family, it's not what you get, it's what you give up. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 20, 28. He says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know where you practice that, man? It's not out there in your company or out there with your neighbor or out there with other people at church. You gotta win the first mile. You gotta do that in your family. Because if you're doing it out there and you're not doing it in here, well, you're doing it out there, it doesn't matter. In fact, it's easier out there because they don't live with you. But if you can do it in here, right? If you can fight for your contribution, man, guess what? You're modeling and you're mentoring and you're messaging to the entire family, right? What it means to be a leader, right? And it accomplishes all of these other purposes, right? Lastly, we gotta fight for the communication in our family. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a family where the communication was beyond dysfunctional and beyond unhealthy. Uh, in fact, the communication in my home created so much anxiety and fear uh, because so many times, mom and dad or dad and brother or mom and dad or mom and sister, it was just so volatile and it created so much stress and anxiety. And can I just tell you the latest research, even on babies, even on babies, the latest research on babies, they, they take in just the vibe of the family. And so guys, uh, words destroy and divide, or they bless and they build up. And you're not, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're not like one who doesn't have power. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have self-control. Right? So spirit-filled men speak spirit-filled words into 
the lives of their family. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 18.2. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. You know, dads who tear down to make themselves feel better or more powerful or in control, they are creating death. They might create a momentary high for themselves that they feel the power, the control, or the position, but man, they're creating death in their kids, or they're creating a death, deathly spirit in their wives. You know, guys, to reflect God, you gotta watch your words. Listen to what it says in John 1:14 in terms of what's oozing out of the man, Jesus, the same man who we profess faith in. It says this, the word, right, the communication, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word, a living incarnational expression of God himself. The word shows up and the word is full of grace and truth. And the word, Jesus himself, full of grace and truth, is leaking grace and truth out of his life into the world. Wow. So if Christ lives in me, what's leaking out of me? Is it grace, gracious words, acceptance and affirmation? Is it truth, right? Is it the truth of God's word? Is it, is it truth in my counsel? Is it truth in love, not truth in anger or in spite? or to injure or damage? Is it truth in love, right? There's our indicator. What's supposed to come out of us in our communication? Gracious words and truthful words. In fact, those are healing words, accepting words, affirming words, authoritative words, right? Accountable words, truth. That's what everyone needs to heal, right? Look what it says in Romans 14 verse 19. It has to go to to, to our efforts in the family to fight for it. it says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification or building up. The primary tool to create peace and to do what leads to edification or the building up of people in your family are words. And look at the extent of the effort. Let us make every effort versus what? half effort, sort of effort, a kind of effort, a half-hearted effort or no effort at all to do what leads to peace and edification, the building up. How do you do that? It's your words. Guys, um, every word counts. Every word counts toward your wife. Every word counts toward your children, right? Look at what it says in Philippians 4.9. It says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. You know, Paul is talking to the spiritual family. I'm talking to you as a spiritual family and I'm gonna say to you um, what Paul says, you know, the things that you hear, the stories that you hear, uh, for, uh, heard or see or, or learn on the every side, put them into practice doesn't matter where it comes from or who says it, but put them into practice. I set the tone in my family, you set the literal tone of communication in your family. So let's review, all right? You're gonna fight for the family like Jesus fought for you, all right? You gotta fight for your convictions. You gotta fight for your connections with your wife and your kids. You gotta fight for the family character seeking to grow family integrity, family maturity, family transparency. You gotta fight for your contribution. Everybody's made to do good in God, and the first place we practice doing good is toward one another in the families. That's where we practice the one another's. And then we gotta fight for our communication. So, you know, if you're gonna have your radar on in your family, have it on in these buckets. But the big idea of this whole thing is to understand that the family right now, just like it was when God made man and woman, is under spiritual attack. And God is calling his sons, his men, to fight for their families the way that Jesus fought for us and to be proud of it and protect it, protect the relationships in there. But guess what? Starts with you, starts with me. You gotta start here. 
All right, you gotta decide. Am I gonna take a stand for the family? The family is God's idea. I have a family and I'm to, to have uh, uh, energy for protecting and fighting for that family because it's under assault from evil. So I want you to put down your pencils. I want you to take a pause. And we all just need to decide right now, right? Number one, if we're going to, to fight for our faith, because when we fight for our faith, we fight for our family. And then we need to pray over God helping us to win these battles. Let's bow our heads right now. God, we choose to confess, Lord, our, our faith in our spiritual family. Jesus, you're our spiritual brother, you're our king, you're our Lord, you're our savior. You, you fought for us. You fought to make a way for us. You modeled for us what being a man is um, and how to love and how to forgive and how to redeem, Lord. And you did that for us so that we can make a way. So Lord, we say yes to, to you and to our spiritual family as children of God. We are in God's family through Christ, and we confess that, and we thank you for that. And now, Lord, we pray that we could reproduce in our own families, in the midst of this cultural war against the family, that we would reproduce in our own families what you want us to do. To have your truth in the center of our hearts, to fight for our beliefs and convictions, God. To know that you've given us wives and children, Lord, to love and serve and forgive and lead and protect. Help us to fight for those relationships. I pray for every dad with young children listening to me right now. I pray for every grandparent with grandchildren. I pray for every dad with children, Lord, that we would model the life in you that we seek, that we would mentor our kids, message them, we spend time with them, talk with them. Lord, and really reach out and in appropriate ways, make time to hug and touch and kiss and bless our children. Even Jesus, as you did, you said, let the children come and you touch them and you bless them. Lord, help us to fight for the character of our family. Help us to have integrity. Help us to seek maturity and help us to practice transparency, Lord. And Lord, our words, lastly, God, just help our words to be words that give life and not bring death. And we can't do that on our own. You're the vine, we're the branch, you're the potter, we're the clay, you're the shepherd, we're the sheep. We need your leadership. So fill us, Jesus, with the Spirit. Fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we, starting this moment, can fight for our relationship with you and for our spiritual family and fight for the families that you've given us. In Christ's name we pray, amen and Amen. So if this is your first time, welcome. Uh, we're going to be in this series for several weeks. Make sure next week you invite a friend and we'll see you then.